Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. So glad you could share your time with us. We do appreciate it greatly. want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing introduction, as always. Um, have never heard a voice like his before, and I'm so grateful he did the intro for us. Please check out Ken Quiethawk or Native Storytellers on Google. And when you find them, you're going to learn a great deal about how tradition and cosmologies have been preserved through time, through storytelling, and uh, it, it trumps it trumps like crazy textbooks, and it keeps alive the history and the wisdom of the first families, the, the Native Americans. It it is an amazing way of preserving understanding and spirituality. So please check it out. Tonight, I have back again with me Gloria Amendola, who is going to be talking about the summer solstice, which just happened, and the cosmic light that is now flowing into all of us. The 2020 summer solstice lunar eclipses and solar eclipse opened a portal to the concentrated energies of the Aquarian age. Gloria is going to share how these cosmic events are affecting us and how we can harness these energies for our greater awakening. She's an author, an intuitive with a passion for esoteric knowledge and dream language. She likes to find the truth of things hidden beneath the surface, as do we all. In her teaching circle, she blends the Western tradition of research and evidence with the Eastern path of meditation and going within for answers. She's a Reiki master, trained group facilitator, an accomplished shamanic drummer, and works with cutting-edge disciplines in her intuitive practice with individuals and groups. She also shares international pilgrimages and esoteric tours to France, the United Kingdom, and Washington, D.C. And you can find her at www.gloriaamandola.com. Check her material out. It is well worth a look and uh, investigation. So, welcome to the show, Gloria. So glad you're back again. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Barbara. What a wild time it's been since the last time we spoke on air. Oh my gosh. You know, it's it's I first of all, I don't believe it's end times personally, but I do believe it's end times of a way of life that we will never get back again and and we're having to move forward with new understanding and new practices and new philosophies. I agree with that. I think it is the end of the Piscean Age. I really do. And I do believe that the Aquarian Age is coming in on the winter solstice, December 2020. I've been following that for five years. And it does seem to have uh, the hallmark of the turning time, the turning of the ages. So while I don't believe this is the end of, of days of Earth, I do believe the, the Piscean Age is closing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, how long, ages are a long time. So when, when was it that we went from, um, oh, I forget what comes before. The Piscean Age. Well, they last about 2,000 years, and it's been hard to pinpoint a date for the Aquarian Age, but around, December of 2015, I uh, was with a group. Actually, we had gone to France, France together, and we met up in uh, South Portland, Maine. I was doing a workshop up there, and many, many got. We just all got together, and the woman who was sponsoring the workshop, her husband, is a very good astrologer, and he said that he was pretty certain. And from that moment on, I just kept following it and following it, and I do believe that because nobody seemed to know but now a handful of very good astrologers very good astrologers i know are pretty much looking to that and the way that everything is changing now so quickly as well as the resistance to that change it just tells me that we're really close now and it's kind of exciting oh yeah i you know i i'm not thrilled with some of the things that are going on but you use the right word because uh, in my mind because there is resistance to moving into new ways of dealing with everything and it's it's uh, the what what society is going through right now on all levels in all areas in all countries is is sort of a breaking up of old traditional philosophies and making way for new ones and there is great resistance to this, and, and I would assume that in, in every time we have a shift of the ages, something like this happens. You know, it's, it's not like I can go back in my day planner and check out when the last age changed. But <laughs> with, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you kind of I, – I have noticed in my lifetime that I go through stages, and just about every 10 years or so, a little e- either way, I make massive changes in my life. And this is one of those times for me. So, uh, you know, and I welcome it because, you know, I like change. It's a challenge. But but many people are so stuck in their ways that, that they resist change, even though it may open ways to a better a, a life for everybody. I agree with that. I, you know, oh, let me let me go back. Um, in October of 2016, 
I remember very clearly, and I've, and I've probably said this on air, but it bears repeating, for those people out there who are finding themselves very uncomfortable with the, you know, the, this change and the resistance to the change. I was walking down by the water in my neighborhood with a friend, uh, Sharon, and uh, she was, you know, she's well aware of my channeling. And I said, wow, Sharon, I just thought we were taking a, wa a walk by the water, but I feel Magdalene's presence coming on. So we found a place to sit on the seawall. We found some stairs, had a little bit of privacy, and I started to uh, channel the Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, the spirit of her. And she said to me to not be... Um, distressed or sidetracked by the extremes that would grow, the extremes. And she said the, the extremes are the tension of the extremes is necessary to, for us, for our evolutionary leap. And she said, stay focused right in that middle lane in the eye of the needle and, and keep your sight set on that. You know, try not to get sucked into one extreme or another, but just stay centered and walk through that eye of the needle. This is a time of an evolutionary leap. And I actually heard somebody on uh, cable news use that phrase uh, this evening, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> so that gives me comfort in, in a strange sort of way that the resistance and the tension to the change, to the leap, is a necessary physical component of that leap. You know, it, it's like that rubber band that's being stretched so far on both ends that it's going to snap, it's going to break. And she always has said to me and, and reminded me for four years now, when I have gotten distressed, stay centered and move forward. Keep your eye in that. Keep your eye in that on that perspective, and I find it really helpful because there's some crazy stuff going on. Oh yeah, I've um, on, on the website I do the predictions, and a number of times I've I've said and repeated, and and will probably continue to that humanity as a whole, and 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 the planet is going through a birthing process. And for anyone who's ever birthed someone, you know that it is uncomfortable, it is it can be painful, but but at the end of the process, um you you have magic and miracles. So if you look upon this as a, a time of birthing, it makes it easier to under to to feel better about the painful things that are happening on all levels for all of us. And, and understand that 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 there is a newness here, there is a freshness here, there is a better, there's a new energetic coming in, there's new wisdom coming in, there's new everything coming in, and because of that, it is a painful experience for us. But but what what happens on the other side of the pain is is spectacular. Yeah, I love that analogy of giving birth. I, I can really relate to that. Now, here's an example, and I wanted to mention this specifically because I know that when Bill Mann's latest novel, The Last Refuge of the Knights Templar, came out, I know you interviewed him, and you and I have talked about some of the people that we both know, and, you know, Renle Chateau and the Templars and um, all this interesting information. So you, I know you know the novel that I speak of. 
And yeah. even in, um, in in certain movies, I think one of Dan Brown's uh, books actually was the Scottish Rite House of the Temple in Washington, D.C. And you mentioned in the show that I take people there uh, to, to D.C. Well, that was one of our locations because it's an extraordinary building. It's placed on a very specific meridian. There's no accident there. And it's something that people need to see to understand the underpinnings of Washington, D.C., why there's so much Freemasonry. And yet, in this crazy moment, especially when all the protests were going on in D.C., um, this, this is what happened to that incredible building made in stone. You can Google it on the Internet, House of the Temple, Washington, D.C., the, the statuary, and so on and so forth. It is a majestic Temple, and it's very important in our history. But on June 19th, a statue of the past Grand Commander, Albert Pike, was toppled from its pedestal in D.C. And I know if you read Bill's book, and I'm sure you probably did, and, and I, I, I did as well, I found oh, yeah. Pike to be a really <laughs> complex guy. Right. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. on one hand, he was um, deeply committed to the Native American uh, population. Or, and, you know, he couldn't get into Harvard. He was that brilliant at 16. And, you know, um, he, he, he favored them and represented them legally. But yet he condoned slavery because it was crucial to the economy of the South. And so the, here's a really complex guy who never could have done then, uh, now what he did then. But, you know, Bill Mann, uh, if you believe some of his background in terms of Freemasonry, found these Albert Pike letters, and they, they oh, yeah. uh, really provide some insight in the book. And yet you, you think about this man in terms of today, and he's so freaking complicated, right? I mean, people would really be upset well, by who he was. Wasn't he one of the founders of the KKK as well? I believe so. And what he did for Freemasonry, and, and again, you probably read this in the book, and Bill probably talked about it on your show, but he blended ancient knowledge with the rituals of Scottish Rite Freemasonry, and that was extremely important. And he had this Canadian general as his source, right? But but the reason I bring that up is because when they toppled this statue at the House of the Temple in June in D.C., in Washington, D.C. This is the statement that the Freemasons put out. We were talking about this sweeping change. They said the statue celebrated Pike's humanitarian successes and his leadership of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. The statue was gifted to the people of the United States in 1901. Even though the Scottish Rite no longer had any ownership rights to the sculpture, the Supreme Council has repeatedly voiced its strong support for any government decision to remove the statue because we recognize that its existence could be a concern among some citizens. We, we can never condone unlawful acts, otherwise the foundation of our society would crumble. However, the statue has belonged to the people since we gave it to them more than 100 years ago. Our prayer is that the removal of the statue can be at least a small step toward healing our nation's wounds. As Scottish Rite Masons, we prefer to step forward with our fellow citizens consistent with the Scottish Rite Creed. Human progress is our cause, liberty of thought our supreme wish. 
freedom of conscience our mission, and the guarantee of equal rights to all people everywhere our ultimate goal. I thought that was, you know, a good beginning of a statement because Freemasonry will have to defend that connection to Albert Pike. Uh, but I thought at least it was an interesting step forward. I mean, would we have heard that 15 years ago or uh, 25 years ago? I don't know. Would, have, would that have no. even happened? Probably not. But I, I think one of the things that upsets me so much is if you're going to remove the statuary, then, then have a museum for all of these statues. Don't destroy I agree them. with that. You know, I mean, it, it's a part of our history. If you want to negate that, um, it, it's a shame. But, but um, it's part of our history, part of our stepping into a new genre as far as society goes. And, and to, negate your, to negate your past, the foundation upon which you are basing your future is is well stupid. So, you know, yeah. Well, I so. think I think the thing that uh, disturbs people whose lives have been so affected by the Confederacy, uh, institutional racism, uh, so on and so forth, is that they feel very differently about what those statues represent, and rightly so. So I can understand why they're being removed, but like you, I agree. We should have an amazing museum that brings in these sta the statuary and tells the story so that we don't whitewash history in, in, in another you know version, but really look at it side by side. It's like when you visit Mount Vernon outside of D.C. in Northern Virginia, Mount Vernon is, an, to me, an extraordinary attraction. It's just world-class. It's oh, yeah. really, really nice. But within that complex, they now have a slave museum, and it is sobering. The first time I went in there, I burst out uh, in tears. I had to go find a bench outside of it and collect myself because I had never fully understood slavery. You know, I, I didn't grow up in the South, Um you know, my bad. I mean, you know, I, I was never uh, supportive of racism, but I just didn't understand some of the history, and it just absolutely gutted me for a while. So well, in there, at least they have, in, in George Washington's place, they, they now have a slave memorial on the grounds, and I've spent time there. It's really, it's really something. And they have the museum, so they're incorporating it in. Like you said, we shouldn't um, get rid of it, but tell its true story. Well, I mean, let's face it, the very first slave owner in this country was a black man. So, you know, I I think they're they're kind of skipping over that particular point because, I mean, I forget where it's documented everywhere. You can you can Google it. But um, as far as museum goes, they they have amazing museums to the Holocaust. They're not trying to yeah. deny that took place, and and those are again, you know, you 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 get you're wrenched, you're unbelievably wrenched. Um, uh, one of the books that I that I, um, one of the authors that I interviewed, uh, his his book was the um, last train um, to, uh, to Hiroshima, no, last train okay. to Nagasaki, and mm -hmm. oh my God, 
the book goes into people interviewed that survived not only Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, you read that book and you know for sure. Um, it's, it's a fascinating book. It's a terrible thing to say, but I couldn't put it down. It was that good because he was interviewing people that survived both bombs and their stories. Wow. And it was amazing. I mean, so history history is rich and important and in, insightful, and it's teaching, and it's so many things. And to to just knock something down because, you know, you're offended by it is ridiculous. I mean, you, you don't have to look at the statues. You don't have to go to the monuments. I mean, they were defacing... Um, you know, you know, there were things on the the uh, news today about them wanting to blow up um, oh, where Trump is. Um, the um, where oh gosh, the faces. Oh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, they they want to destroy Mount Rushmore because you know some of those men own slaves, and you know it's just it's wrong. Uh, I, I think we have to respect our history because we don't want to repeat it. Well, I think we could go off into directions in that regard um, because, about history. My dear uh, friend, the late Dr. Tim Wallace Murphy, wrote an amazing book called Hidden History, and he starts around ancient Egypt, and he goes, he brings it all the way forward to current time, and he follows certain uh, esoteric underpinnings as well. And when I read that book, because, again, it's it's a long period of time. We were talking on the open of the show about the end of the Piscean Age and the beginning of the Aquarian Age. Well, this took in a lot of history, and it was absolutely revolting to really get that reflection in one book of how horrible we have been. So it's very complex, and there there are deep wounds in this country, but not to shift away from this topic, but I have something interesting to tell you about the film that you mentioned to me when I shared the last time we did a show about how how Archangel Michael had come to me and showed me um, that uh, the the under the beginning of the coronavirus and the end of December 2019. Do you remember that oh, story? Uh, the above. No, wait. Which film are you talking to? Above Majestic. Okay, the Andromeda Strain. So, so let me oh, let yeah. me just refresh um, you and your listeners on this because I think you'll get a kick out of this. Um, okay. I had spoken about how in my intuitive work. Uh, how I have this relationship, you know, you have a relationship with spirit and people that come through as I do with the Magdalene. And so Michael came in and he had been showing me a little bit more of who he was. And that was, I think, to prepare me for what was to come. So the end of December, I get aw- awakened in my from a, a deep sleep. And he basically is, I swear to God, standing by my bed. I could see in my third eye, a little bit in my physical, this, this, this very tall, slim male, if you will. That's how he appeared to me. And he said, I want you, I'm going to wake you up to put you back asleep, but you need to pay attention to this dream. And with that, I was knocked out. And he showed me, me in a medical center locally, I think it was Yale New Haven, hospital in in new haven around yale university 
and I was moving about the hospital. Do you remember any of this? And finally, at the end, I didn't know what I was doing there. It was just seemed like, um, you know, patients, business offices, and so forth. And when I turned around, he showed me this elevator closing with a bright light in there. And the people, you know how you could be in an elevator. You could be, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And, yeah. and he said, so, so what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know what you're asking me. And this is all taking place in the dream time. But, um, you know, they all seem normal. And he said, but they're yeah. not. They're all infected. Now, I had no sense of a pandemic, so I didn't know what to make of it. So I told a few friends of mine, Magda and Sharon, and I was like, I, I just don't know. I know this is important, but I don't know what it is. Well, I figured out, obviously, that it was the coronavirus pandemic that was breaking out globally and, of course, in the United States. And remember, Michael said everyone was infected. So I think when we did the show, I had said, okay, there's another part to this. I was so confused when the lockdown was about to happen that in my living room, I did a meditation and I asked Michael to come back in and the Magdalene and said, is there anything you could tell me? Is there anything you can share? So Magdalene, there was a channeled message, which was recorded and transcribed. And then there was Michael. And all I saw, I don't know if this is jogging your memory, but all I saw was this like artificial rain coming in to Earth's atmosphere, but it was way, way up high. It's not where rain comes from. And I knew it was artificial. It was about four inches long. I just knew it was artificial. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. What does this mean? And he said, look up, like look up further. And when I did, to my right, I saw a satellite. And that's when you said to me, there's an old movie about that. I can't remember the name, but Google it. You'll find it. There's an old movie. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, so what? I and my brother had said the same thing too. And so I'm thinking, what the heck is this movie? I, you know, it's a sci-fi movie. I got to watch it. You know, what is it? Well, it took a while to find. It was the Andromeda strain. Remember that from way, way back? I do. And so there was the very old movie, I think it was the early 70s, and, you know, if you look at it now, it's it's really outdated, but the message is there. And then my friend Magda, shout out to Magda, she's listening to the show, um, she said, hey, I found a 2008 remake, there's a miniseries. And I thought, well, and she goes, it's really good. So it had Eric McCormack and uh, Benjamin Bratt, and, I mean, it was just uh, a modern uh, it, it actually took the story much further. I just finished watching it last night, and wow, let me tell you, you know, and you had suggested that. It was about this virus coming in, um, and it w- came into Earth's atmosphere through a satellite. So I wanted to tell you, I really followed up on that, and I have lots of questions after watching the remake of of that film, the 2008 miniseries version, because it really asks some very provocative questions. Yeah, it's you know, it, it's uh, it's amazing how a lot of things are predicted in the movies that you know we don't really think about, and then suddenly they they all kind of all gel, and it's it's really a profound feeling when you think 
how did they know this was coming? You know, were we being prepared for this? Was this something that, you know, that, that was, you know, we were just being braced for way ahead of time? And I, I have, you know, constantly thought that that, that has been the case because uh, it, history is just so strange. Hey, yeah, and if you look, you know, I I believe that as well. And when you look back at certain movies that were a bit maybe over your head at some point, and you look back at them now, and you're like, oh my God, they were trying to tell us something. I had this woman. I don't know if I've ever said this on air, but I used to do uh, Magdalene circles and workshops up in Rye, New Hampshire. It was just one of the locations. A friend of mine had a a really nice center up there, Eye of the Hawk, and I'd go there once or twice a year. And one time, this woman showed up in my circle. She was from Massachusetts, and the circle was in New Hampshire. And she said to me during the break, you know, I work for so-and-so investigative journalist. I hadn't heard the name. And she gave me a card and, you know, everything I did check out, everything was legit, the website, the work, and so forth. And she said that there was a contingent in Hollywood that was trying to get the truth out to us and that things that are placed in movies are very deliberate. And again, she came twice. We talked about it a little bit more, and she was telling me back then, so this is probably at least a good seven years ago, maybe longer, uh, she did say that there was quite a battle going on there between competing um, interests in terms of Mm -hmm. us and the information we were getting. So that was, and again, I checked everything out. It seemed legit. Um, I'm sure I have an archive file somewhere in my on my computer about all the specifics. But yeah, isn't it amazing? And so I did follow up on that. And like I said, I still have questions I can't quite, um, you know, put my finger on yet uh, in terms of this coronavirus and COVID uh, pandemic um, uh, experience that we find ourselves in, not to minimize it, but just just to state that. And I, I just wanted you to know, you know, thank you for remembering that because it was off my radar and it's proved to be very, very interesting. Well, uh, Dan Brown's Inferno is, is another one that's very similar. And um, it, it's basically... Um, the whole storyline goes about a mad scientist has released an, uh, an, uh, a virus that will, you know, depopulate the world to a great extent so that we can get down to the 500 million, I think, that we're supposed to be at that, will, that is it's the same Georgia Stone type stuff. And Yeah, the Georgia Guidestones, correct. Yeah, it's, it's they're, they're chasing this this down and the scientist who released it committed suicide so they can't get to him to find out where he hid the virus that was going to be released and if anybody hasn't read the book um, don't listen to the next couple of sentences when they when they actually finally find um, the virus they find it it has already been released and it's in everybody's bloodstream and what it has done is um, basically sterilize a great many people so that the population is going to go down slowly as opposed to a virus wiping everybody out. <clears throat> so one of the things that I'm watching for is to see if the result of the virus is going to sterilize people because I highly, I truly believe it is. And <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing 
I am very curious too is are RH negative people targeted because that's you know so many um, Brad Olson and a number of other people are saying that the RH negative factor is something that scientists can't explain where it came from. Some people say it's you know the survivors of Atlantis. Other people say other things. But I I was looking at the testing that they do, and they take a swab, which is how they test for DNA. So interesting. I I truly believe they were testing for DNA more than anything else. And if you'll notice, they keep pushing more testing, more testing, more testing. I don't think they're looking for people with the virus. I think they're looking for people that are Rh negative. Wow, there's so many ways that I can go from that statement. Um, I appreciate that. I think when Inferno came out, I think that's when I saw Dan Brown in person at uh, Carnegie Hall in New York at Lincoln Center. And um, so interesting that you said that because one of the things that has bugged me about that initial Michael dream where I turn back and look at the crowded elevator full of people, bright light on, could see their faces. Everybody looked, quote, normal, uh, unquote, you know, kind of thing. And then Michael said, "Not they're all infected. Not some. Yeah. They're all infected. And when you talk about that in the book, I have the book. I haven't read it. That kind of blows my mind because that aligns with some information that I'm exploring myself. So very interesting. So that's Inferno. So that's the premise. I remember him talking about population control when he did that event, I'm sure his publisher set up in the city. Uh, It was a big deal. It was a big event. And, uh, and you could tell he was, he was he was cool, but I mean he was certainly disturbed by some things that I think he found in his research. Mhm. Well, I'm sorry I spoiled the book for you because <laughs> um, the end. You absolutely you know, I did not. Um, I have. Okay. It will make me either read it or find summaries online or something uh, because I'm pretty busy right now. But to to track that down because there's been a f- there have been a few nagging details that I can't get past. And I learned when I when I did a lot of work in dream school with Robert Moss many years ago in trainings and so forth that every detail in a dream can be so important. Something so menial can actually end up being something very, very important. So I, there again, you gave me another lead here. I appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I just, and, and the more, <clears throat> the, you know, if you look back a number of years, first of all, there was the National, it was National Geographic that came out with the, D, with the um, DNA testing stuff. And then Ancestry came out with it. And these two programs have been taking people's DNA and, you know, matching it to relatives, which is a cool thing. But I don't think that's what it was installed or, you know, created. Well, we know they're reselling it on uh, some of the companies. I mean, this has been uh, open source reporting, uh, are, are selling it. And I always remember in that trilogy, the movie trilogy with Divergent, 
when they were trying uh-huh. to hunt out the divergence. They would use that yeah. fancy little gizmo, and they would kind of scan the person and get their DNA readout, and not only di- a, a divergent because they wanted to get rid of them because they were the creatives, and they didn't know how they would control them, right, in this orderly society. And so exactly. they had, they would determine how much divergence they had in them anyway. It, it's based on that premise. So I hear you. I'm, I'm right with you on that one. And it's interesting you mentioned the whole RH negative because, as you know, we both really uh, love the mystery of the Rennes-le-Chateau region, which is yeah. in the Pyrenees in southwest France, France, which is where I take people. And one, it was in 2017 we did a – a whole loop around France before we then came back and settled in the Rennes-le-Chateau area. And when you get to the Basque region of in that Pyrenees section and then going to Spain, it's a really fascinating place. And they have a high, high, high percentage of RH negative factor. I think it's the largest population on the globe. And there is a connection there to Atlantis. So, again, interesting you make that comment, you know, why would would somebody be looking for that kind of genetic material? Well, I would bet bet my ranch if I had one, but nobody's going to be able to prove this, so it's easy to bet a ranch I don't have, Um, (laughs) that that both Jesus and Magdalene uh, were RH negative, and when they were analyzing the Shroud of Turn, and they and they said that they were able to pull blood samples. I, my first thought was, oh, oh, can you tell if it's Rh negative or not? And I I don't think they could, but that would have cemented it for me because I believe that they were both Rh negative, and and so that with that Rh negativeness, um, I think there is a greater immunity to things that are being put out there. And I swear to you, I truly believe they are looking for the RH negative people, quite possibly um, the Jesus bloodline or the John the Baptist bloodline as well. Well, that could very well be. As you know, though, the Basque region, the connection to their cultural dancing and the high RH negative population and its location to um, – uh, outlying parts of Atlantis, if you will, it is very much there. And then, of course, you get into the Pyrenees and you go over into the Ariège and Languedoc regions, and that was the heart of heresy, and that was the heart of the truth of the Yeshua and Magdalene bloodline, in my opinion. The Essenes, the Cathars, the Templars, that was their stronghold, and they were all hunted down. That is part of our history. And so that in itself is is a fascinating story. That could very well be um that could very well be what you're saying it's there's there's another connection too that I'd like to introduce in because it really it, it ties into the mix of not only this corridor of lunar solar eclipse summer solstice but we have July 4th tomorrow and then we have on July 5th you know depending where you are we have this powerful 
powerful lunar eclipse. It's connected to cancer. It's connected to July 4th. And our founders in America were very aware of where Sirius, Sirius, the star Sirius, was in the night sky and certainly um, designed certain rituals and so forth around some people say the signing of the declaration. I think it was not as simple as that. But still, they were very aware of Sirius and its movement because, well, for a couple of reasons, and I'll share because it, it directly deals with the download this weekend. But I just found this information just before coming on air. I was looking at um, Sirius um, because I have a huge connection to it. And I'm trying to find, I, I have it on Kindle here, and I'm trying to find the passage because it also connects to Atlantis. And there is, there are Atlantean themes that are encoded in Washington, D.C. Oh, so yeah, it, absolutely. So I think I'm almost there. Bear with me. Okay, here it goes. So th this is a really cool starseed guide. Um, and I, I, I downloaded it months and months ago, but I didn't start reading it till this week. Go figure. It's just one of those things. So Syrians, meaning the star beings from Sirius, and I'll weave this into how I think this connects to Sunday, so in the very here and now. But Syrians have incarnated on Earth from the time of its beginning. Many ascended masters and great minds come from a Syrian S-I-R-I-A-N, a Syrian ancestral line. The majority of technology found in ancient Egypt came from the Syrian and Orion beings that either visited or incarnated to assist a thriving new world. Their goal was to preserve knowledge from ancient Atlantis in several parts of the earth and to make it thrive. If failure were to happen, then at least they would have clues, have left clues for future generations. Um, wait a minute, hang on. For future generations, sorry about that, to remember their ancestry, we're talking about ancestry, and to relearn their starseed abilities. I find that possible, you know, really interesting, too, in terms of, oh, my God, in terms of so many things, what we're talking about, the July 4th holiday and how the star Sirius and the rising and where it is in the sky was very important to the founders, you know, who many were Freemasons. Um, this current uh, download, this, this lineup of the sun and Sirius at the lunar eclipse on July 5th. It has always been believed in, in the esoteric world that our physical sun gives life and so forth. But the sun behind the sun is our spiritual teacher, and that's the star Sirius. I mean, that's – and so that when it aligns, it's like our physical sun is the infrastructure – that carries, excuse me, carries the light of Sirius through the tube to us. The Rosicrucian teachings teach that our cells are psychic, and that light directly communicates with us, period. So the idea that this is, you know, woo-woo stuff 
is nonsense. The ancients knew, and science is showing us how this is happening. So this is a direct communication, a direct download from that light aligned at this time, which goes right into our cellular structure, right to the center of it, which is psychic and responsive of information. One more thing just to add is that there is and it's it's really very hidden, but I have found in some of the Rosicrucian material that there is a belief, and I don't think I've ever said this on air, I don't know, that Jesus came, because they don't focus on the Magdalene, but that Jesus came from Atlantean stock. Mm. And there's a whole discourse of why they believe that, but I, I won't go into that for tonight. It's kind of complicated, but I, when I read that, I just felt that there was something true about that, and uh, here we are. Well, you know, also, um, Janet Walter wrote a book with Alan Butler on um, sacred feminine, and and I can't remember exactly the name of it, but they... Oh, American um, Nation of the Goddess. Right, and in that yep. book... They they show how the Masonic stuff f- figures into everything, including even the World War II memorial. And there is a park there where they uh, suggested that a lot of the ancient um, artifacts are, are 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 buried and and you know kind of kept in secret. In secret, of course, now it's not much of a secret, but. Um, but it, they they really didn't go too far, but but they did suggest that there were a lot of um, antiquities there that related both to Jesus and Mary, which is kind of fascinating. Well, it, it, the, that idea actually comes from Alan's book with, um, I think, Chris Knight, um, or maybe it was his He's done books with him, but maybe it was his solo book I think he did on Washington, D.C., City of the Goddess. And what, he, and what they say, and, and I don't know if he and Chris Knight found this before that, but what you're referring to is the Ellipse or Presidential Park South. So between yeah. the White House and the Washington Monument is the Ellipse, is that park, which they say is an underground vault where these, these the, we'll call it the Templar treasure to keep it simple, was posited, was put in place. And, and there's an elaborate uh, story about that. And I've done, I've taken groups there. And the oddest thing about that location, physical, on the ground that you notice, is that, of course, you have the White House, which is, um, you know, I think it's a pretty building. It's very simple, but you know, you have the grounds. Things are are manicured and so forth. And then you go to the Washington Monument, which is like one of my favorite places in D.C. And it's just prime real estate, and it's it it means so much to me personally. But it's very well attended and very manicured, and you know, it's on that mall where right down from it is the World War II memorial, which I visited after reading that book. And my dad was a a World War II vet, so it meant a lot to me. There was something special encoded there, I believe, as well. But in between the Washington Monument, and the White House, this is really special place, is the Ellipse, and it's a dump. It's, <laughs> it's a park that is between the two. It's There's areas that are permanently fenced off you can't get to. 
it is uh, the grass is a mess. It's all uneven, lots of weeds, not, not even like any flowers. It doesn't make any sense. Sure it does. So long as it is just a mess, nobody's going to pay attention to it. And it's, it's a well-known fact that the Templars didn't hide everything in one place. And, you know, while, right. while, Bill, Mann, while Bill Mann is suggesting that, that Montana is where um, a bulk of it is, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if, if there were other places uh, on the globe where, where parts of their treasure were sequestered because, um, I mean, after all, there were so many ships that took off out, out of La Rochelle and they they didn't all go to the same place. They went to different parts of the world, you know, to Portugal, to um, to uh, Scotland, to mm-hmm. not Oak Island. I don't think it ever hit Oak Island, to be honest with you. But it was a good story. Um, but but the the uh, Sir Henry Sinclair, you know, probably did touch there at some point, and he probably was moving to the west, and and so. You know, especially with the the um, the the Indian tribes in in uh, Canada. I mean, they have a history of it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I I mean, to think that the Templars would have been foolish enough to bury all of their treasure in one place is ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. So there, there has well, to I be do believe they retrieved stuff. I I think it's a strong possibility that they were in the Catskills as well and that there were things there for them to retrieve. That's a complicated story. Uh, It's based on the Cremona document. And, of course, there's people that say it's BS, it's a hoax, it's not real. But the more the story lingers and the more that is found about that area, there are certain mysteries there. There's just something there that's going on. And, you know, that's, that's, again, another story in and of itself. So, yeah, I do believe that there were multiple repositories, and I believe that they would have learned that from the Essenes themselves um, because that's the way they tended to secure scrolls and certain artifacts and so forth. So very interesting, the underpinnings of, of America. You know, in those early, early, early times, there are Sinclair journals surfacing while, if true, they do place the Templars here well before Prince Henry Sinclair. And they do seem to make passage through Oak Island, but not necessarily um, leave anything there. Or if they did, they came back and moved it. So I don't know oh, that yeah. there's anything there myself at that point, but I do believe it was one of their docking stations. Oh, yeah, I, and for anybody who's interested in the Cremora document, um, Zena Halpern wrote a, an amazing book about it, and, and while people are saying she was off a little bit here and there, it's a really interesting book, and it's worth a read. It really is. It makes you question a lot of other things. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time up in the Catskills, and I knew Zena personally, and she wrote that book while she suffered with cancer, and she kept at it for many years as new things were being revealed, and it was it was a story where it was hard to get right, because when you're dealing with, she had to track down, I had multiple conversations with Zena through the years, and she's the one that, um, you know, 
set me up the, uh, my first visit up there with someone to show me around, and she wanted my impressions because at that point she couldn't go into the woods anymore up there. She did well into her 70s, but she got sick in her 80s, and um, she struggled with that. And God bless her for what she did put together. And it's kind of up to us. I feel it's incumbent on me to try to track down some of those details. So I've been at it for about seven years now and others too, you know, Scott Walter has been and uh, Dave Brody and a few others. And um, I don't know if they've moved on to, to Montana and the, you know, that whole area or what, you know, Missouri, there's things going on there, but um, there, there is something very ancient in those Catskills, and it would make sense to me that the Templars would have known that the ancients were there because that's what they were looking for. They were, they, I believe they found the ancient maps, and certainly that's what Zena says they found under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem when they were excavating. And I mean, for the longest time, people wouldn't even agree that they did. And then finally, they began to find the tunnels and the evidence. And now it's pretty much like, hey, yeah, they were there. So, so it's a, you know, it's tough for Zena because she, she did struggle and was sick, but she did the very best she could with what she was given. And she at least, at least, in, she at least gave us a blueprint in that document, if it's to be believed. And I go up there in the Catskills and I look at different, you know, what's the indigenous imprint up there? Were the ancient Israelites up there? Is there a star map on the ground that's encoded with standing stones and so on and so forth? I mean, there's a lot to really, what, you know, why did the 13 grandmothers go up there? Why does the Dalai Lama go there? There's something there. Um, and, and so they retrieve stuff there too. So the Templars, uh, were all over North America among other places in the world. And it really connects back to the underpinnings and the foundation of the history and the story that's never been fully understood because look at how we've screwed up so much of our history already, never mind, you know, this, this whole Templar underpinning and what they were really going for in America. I think one of the things that upsets me to a certain degree is that these these protesters, um, and, and a lot of them are paid to protest. They don't really know what they're protesting. They just are having a good time going out and creating trouble. But But they are in many ways denying and trying to erase the history that gives us a richness and a spirituality that is spectacular. And um, in, in a way, it's kind of like they're on a crusade to erase hints that can lead us into a more positive future. Well, I, you know, it's a, it's a complicated subject because you can't always, in my opinion, those people who are protesting, they see things in a certain way based on their understanding. And the fact that they have protested, especially during a pandemic, um, has changed, uh, you know, has made real change happen quickly. Whether that's good or bad, I guess in time we'll know. But to, to understand the nuances of, of history, it's never really put forth that way. It's, air, it's been airbrushed by the victors to present one side or the other. It's a dualistic thinking. It's, you know, yeah. this or that. But, but really, truly, 
it's if you integrate history, it is rich and it's multi-layered, but they're not they're not there yet. And yet, I heard just before I came on, uh, we we started the show that there were more changes that were happening even just today. And I'm not saying they're all good or they're all right, but at some point like we're being confronted with so much change right now and it's it has its own organic process and it's not going to be perfect either well of course not that's why we're here um it it i think though the the other part that you you mentioned that that there was a, a new intu- intuition that everybody was coming into and i think in part you know if you've Everybody is intuitive, but this seems to enhance it greatly. So that if you've never worked with intuition, if you've never understood, you know, the process, if you've never, if you're not comfortable with your intuition, then that can be a very scary thing, and it can be very unsettling to people. So, um, and it's really funny. I, I tell people to meditate, and then, and then I realize that you know everybody has to find their own method of meditation, but during these times, finding that peace and quiet inside of yourself can can help you get through these times so much easier and, and you know and healthier. And it's 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 amazing. Of course, you can't sit and talk to a you know a, a raging mob and say, now let's let's do the OM for a few minutes. <laughs> but yeah. but there's there's confusion in humanity because they don't understand the changes that are going on inside of themselves. Well, that's true. And and there are people waking up. Uh, I mean, another thing that we have to contend with, there are people waking up right now to a lot of this. And because the Internet uh, and social media is so, um, uh, you know, they're just go-to staples of, of life in 2020, People are reading a lot of misinformation, and there's a lot of agendas competing at this time for your soul, for your consciousness, for your uh, whatever words we want to use at the turning of the time, the turning of ages. I remember in 2012 when I was working on an event and doing research for a preparation, uh, preparation for re- uh, research presentation I was doing, and they were saying, you know, with the, the whole Mayan calendar ending and so on and so forth, that when we move from one age to the next in 2012, which some people are actually saying is really 2020, and there was a miscalculation uh, in the Gregorian and Julian, you know, the calendars and so forth, whatever it is, and even in my Magdalene trilogy, Magdalene points to this time that this will be the turning time. So here we find ourselves in in 2020, but they say that it's so fragile as we as we shift that mm-hmm. many come out, many maniacal, egotistical, narcissistic personalities appear because the the fragility of the of the turning time of the shifting from one to the next can be so so volatile or uncertain and, and confusing that those kinds of personalities prey on that in the collective to try to if they can't stop an age they can slow it down that was done in the languedoc i think we talked about that 
last time on the show, the spirit of the egregore, the god, that guardian spirit, and how the Romans actually used ritual magic to engage that spirit, to slay it, because they felt that if they could, they can overtake a population in the physical very easily. So there is a lot of that out there, and I feel badly for people who are just waking up because there is such bad information out there that is preying upon people's fears, whereas perhaps you and I and others have had you know, time to really take all this in and really ingest it and process it and, you know, banter and work it out in ourselves, you know, so that we may know ourselves a little bit more and trust our intuition. But there are so many people right now who are just freaking out, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, um, I have I have some friends. One of them is that says, well, so when is this going to be over? And, and I keep saying to her, you know, this is a long-term process. This is not, you know, you know, November, December, and everything's going to be fine. We've got, we've got years to go before there is a a, a better flow to humanity than than we have right now. Uh, it's it's something that we'll see, but it's not going to be over. It's not that we're looking at you know six months, eight months, nine months. I, I think that that uh, personally, I see upheaval. Um, gosh, at least until February or March, and that's when I see it slowing down to a certain degree, but not totally. Yeah. Well, the astrology looks as if the next two years are going to be rocky. Um, that's yeah. the astrology, and and it um, things do generally generally flow in that direction. So I think it's going to be a really bumpy road for the next couple of years as the Aquarian age does come on because there is a lot of change afoot to begin to match up to those frequencies. So for me, one of the things I do uh, in the intuitive side of this, the intuitive work, is when I work with people, and it doesn't matter if it's in person or remotely, and right now most, you know, pretty much all of it is remote. Yeah. I've always scanned the seven major chakras. And because I've been doing this for so long, I've seen different patterns emerge. And an old pattern involves the root chakra, chakra one, the solar plexus, chakra three, and the throat chakra chakra five and that relates to a very old pattern what i have noticed over the last i don't know three four years is that those who are really acclimated to the new time to the aquarian age and that vibe that frequency their chakras of two the sacral chakra for the heart which is really key uh six the third eye and seven the crown uh, and this is just based on the seven chakra system. There are others. If those, uh, if those are open, what that shows me is that person is really acclimated to the new energies. And if that one, three, and five shows blockage, that's where we have to pay attention to it and, and work with it. And there are so many wonderful tools to to resolve that, to transmute it, because that's the old part and it holds you back from embracing the new. So it's really fascinating, even just on an intuitive chakra read in a session, what can be 
deduced by doing that, and it takes all of 20 seconds to scan the seven major chakras, uh, and it's a wealth of information because the pendulum, you know, doesn't know the person in 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 the mind like we would think. It just it's reading energy. Um, right. So that's a way I've been able to determine and work with people on what are the chakras the chakras within this system that we need to actually strengthen, to open, to look at what might be there that is the obstacle so that this acclimation that they have to the new age is 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 um, really embraced, like they can really move forward with less conflict. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and, you know, it's, People don't seem to understand that energetically we are we are all going through major shifts, and yes. it it will be different for everybody. But but at the same time, it, it's a it's a challenge to to us individually to look to, look to ways look to find ways that we can make things easier for not only our, ourselves but the people around us. And I am just blown away by some of the stuff that's going on and and I'm finding that actually that children have an easier time with this than um than adults. They seem well, I think cool. they're more acclimated to the new age, but I think where they find their bumps in the road is emotionally. I think that's where we all find our bumps in the road is in the emotional body. You know, I've to the to date I've must have done I well over 300 Magdalene circles here and abroad. And from day one, which started around 2007 until the present, because they're ongoing, Magdalene has always come to me in spirit with her message, work on the emotional body, clear the emotional body. And I've, you know, I have to be writing a book just on that alone and what that presents to us because that had everything to do with mastering certain chakra uh, chakra um impulses in the ancient mystery schools, especially in Egypt and the way the the temples were on the Nile and so forth. So I think the kids are wired for certain things that is it's really cool, but I think we have to realize that emotionally they're not always there and that we have to work with that. We can't assume that they're all okay with this because they're not. I mean, the levels of anxiety with young ones, um, you know, depression, anxiety, I was really shocked to learn all this. I mean, it's sky high, and it has been for a while. Absolutely. and, and You it's, know, it's so it's it, – what's that? I, I was, I was going to say what really upsets me is how they're – drugging the kids instead of working with them. Yes. Totally agree. It, it, it just it's 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 sort of like, come on, this is this is easy to work with. This is you know it's not it's not rocket science science by any means and they just they, they seem to be more unco- more comfortable with just giving, you know, kids the drugs and saying, Yeah, well this will quiet them down but it it doesn't i think that the drugs actually make things worse because um you know they 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 stop you from feeling in many ways and you know once you're doing that you know it it's um it's crazy time and we we're wasting our youth by drugging them in my opinion well i agree with that and then therefore 
the pain body, the emotional body becomes a major issue because if you cut them off from their feelings, those embedded emotions become unprocessed and you act from that unconscious place of not even knowing who you are. Because if you don't feel your way through that in some capacity, how how the heck can you know who you are? Yeah, no, it's um, as a, as an ex school teacher. <laughs> I mean, I even there you go. special ed. I even had my special ed kids um, meditating. We somehow we got into meditation, and they wanted to know what it was. And I said, it's hard to explain, but you know, I'll, I'll teach you how to do it, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. And it, it was something I got in trouble, but you know, <laughs> but it. Yeah. Possibly was, you know, I, I thought it was a great idea. Apparently, some of the parents didn't. But. You know, I don't. I I just don't know how anybody can can see it any other way. If you can get children to settle in and quiet down and find some level of peace within themselves, I think that would just be a wonderful thing. And and I think it's obviously being accepted more and more. Uh, I've I've heard about programs in the UK. Uh, that are very successful with meditation in kids now. So I guess you were ahead of your time. You were a trailblazer. But, you know, when you talk about drugging the kids and as we were shifting into this new age and the and the um, things that the human body is designed to do, one of them being the intuitive skill set, uh, it would be wonderful to be working on that level with people and children instead of just, you know, drug company, big pharma, this is what we're going to do and the vaccine will save us and so on and so forth. Because in the history of vaccines, it ain't quite that way. And so why don't we have more talk about strengthening immune system and vitamin D and vitamin C and other things that aren't so destructive on the human body. So there again, we do have all that information. We have that, that, that leap going forward and what we can do and what we're learning about using CBD products in the endocannabinoid system. And that's a built-in system. And when we trigger that, what does that do for us? That's where people get really excited. And then there's an, you know, just an incredible amount of drugs, which are more, you know, Western mind, let's segregate a problem and an issue and target it. And that might be valuable in certain ways, but not in terms of the holistic mechanism that we are. So the Aquarian age, the coming time, the turning time, it's about that holistic integrated process, which is the way the feminine brain computes. And that's why I think shift in the ages is much easier for women than men because men tend to have in their wiring a more compartmentalized brain. And so it is harder for them to become integrated and holistic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you speak about waking up the feminine in, in all of us. And and when I, I think some people think of the feminine as, you know, you know be, become more feminine in the um in your manner and that's not it it's it's in understanding it's in compassion it's in um you know being a better steward for one thing it, it, you know with your body with your spirit with with your energy your energy and i think you know it's it's such a shame because you know here you're working with this energy you're sharing this energy and, and insight with people and you know, you can only hit 
a small group at a time and then then you have to hope that that you know they're going to you know like that commercial tell and she told two one person two people and they told two people and you know so that you get a, a kind of a a cascading effect of the wisdom and the knowledge that you're trying to share with other people well, I believe that timing is everything, and and I can at least say for me with what I've learned, I've had to really test it out through time. I'm not one to just frivolously throw stuff out there. I I you know want to vet it in some way. I have a legal background, and I do like evidence where it can be found. It won't stop me if I know shamanic ways really work, but in the same token, um, if I can present science or if I can see in, in the channeling that I've done uh, over time, you know, I was channeling the Magdalene long before I ever wrote, you know, books and so on and so forth, uh, but I wanted to see, does it hold up? Is it true? Is it accurate? If it's not accurate, what's the what's the point? So I think in terms of working with people intuitively and in session, because I didn't have someone who just taught this to me, oh, it was in my family, I'm third generation. I had to pull all of this out of thin air. So I had to test it, and now I'm certain of what I know. And so now with unfortunately not being able to go to France in September or the UK because it just ain't going to happen with travel restrictions and uh, pandemic issues that are going on, I'm going to really hunker down and do lots and lots of writing because I've thought this stuff out in my head. So I I re-released my play script and um, now am am working on my next book and it's going to be kind of, uh, you know, just a lot pouring out of me pretty quickly because I am ready to share these insights and practices that are upgraded now a bit from maybe what we learned 20 years ago and 10 years ago. There's upgraded versions, you know, just like with computers and software and so forth. And I'm so exci- I'm excited and ready to do that and share and broaden it. Um, and there's going to be certain initiatives that are happening that are going to get introduced in the fall of how we're going to teach this stuff virtually and hopefully by next year at some point start teaching it in person. So do you feel that, you know, it, they keep tightening us up and then loosening us up and tightening us up? You know, it, it, it's it's really frustrating. You think that you're coming to a period of time where there's going to be a certain amount of freedom and then suddenly – Somebody else catches the flu and and or whatever, and um, we're back to restriction and everything. And and you know, frankly, you know, I have it easy because I work from home anyhow. So that you know, this hasn't been uh, as inconvenient for me as it might have been for a lot of other people. Um, I, I really, <clears throat> I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to do a lot of work, but. Um, you know those that those people that lost their jobs or whatever, and and frankly, those that lost their jobs, to me, this is a wonderful time for you to grow and to learn and to share and to look for directions that that are more appropriate for you. That just maybe you weren't, um, maybe you weren't in the right profession or going in the right direction, and this absolutely you know enables you to find the direction that is perfect for you. And and more more synchronistic with your spiritual journey for this lifetime. And well, know, I, I, I I totally agree with that. But for many people right now in this pandemic, 
uh, and depending, um, you know, minorities are getting hit harder, um, both economically and uh, with the virus itself. We know African Americans are getting hit pretty hard. Uh, the indigenous people seem to be. So I think it depends on a few factors how you can embrace. I totally agree. What a time to embrace new concepts, new ideas. You have you have all these tools available, and yet there are so many people who are in a primal state of fear because they don't have food or they don't have jobs or, you know, they, they live in a house where there's six or seven people and, you know, the, the transmission of the virus is happening. It, you know, it's where people find themselves in this pandemic. Um, it's, it's really a lot of different responses out there. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it, it's just a complicated time for so many. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you can work on your vibration and come to some understanding of truth and peace and understand the laws of attraction and abundance and how that works, um, you got a really good shot at making that shift and that change. But if you're in a situation where, you know, money is an issue, finances, um understanding time and then you go down that fear uh you know the road of fear which you know survival that whole root chakra thing um it could be a very scary time so it's 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 so varied and it's so complex what we're going through as far as how the restrictions might play out i mean the thing that disappoints me in terms of not being able to go to france and the uk this year is that other countries have managed this virus. Like, France is fine. You know, their curves are fine. Uh, Italy, Spain, uh, Germany, you know, the EU, they're they're okay. And yet we're not. So it's not like they're not opening their borders. It's that I, as an American, am not welcome right now because our numbers are too high. You know, forget all the politics attached to everything. If you just look at the data, you know, in the analytics and the, and the numbers, I mean, our numbers are just too high. I don't blame them. We'd probably do the same thing to countries who were going through this. So I think in terms of Americans, it's really how this virus gets managed and how people take certain elements seriously to get the numbers down. I mean, right now we're, we're surging. Again. Again. And, I mean, we're doing fine here in Connecticut and the Northeast, you know, overall, we we had a terrible, terrible explosion in New York City, but, you know, science and data was used, and we locked down, and we're not perfect, but we're doing okay here. And in other parts of the country, um, they're not. And so it's just, it, it seems to me like, you know, one of the things I can say about that uncertainty is that it keeps you very present, it does. It absolutely does. And it took me a while to to realize that I wasn't really imprisoned unless I saw it as that. And, right. and it, it 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 really is, you know, was an opportunity to do oh so many different things. Now I wish I had done more writing and and but but it appears that you know this kind of shelter in place cuz cuz I'm one of those you know um at risk people so you know I will be the last that is totally set free 
November. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it it kind of gives you an, an opportunity to you know don't look at this as a as a curse or or, or um, look at it more as as a, a wonderful opportunity that you've been given to you know rediscover yourself to do all sorts of wonderful things. It is, and even when you hit the bumps of fear and survival, I think if you can learn and understand the laws of attraction a little bit more and the metaphysical natures of of how things work, that restores more self-empowerment rather than thinking you have to depend on a state or federal government or uh, a doctor or a pharmaceutical company, that you really uh, you really ramp up your own skill set intuitively, that you rely on that your own GPS, your own compass to basically show you which ways to go because it really does. It's uh, we have an extraordinary internal GPS system, and it, it's a time where we can use that and test it out very, very specifically in our world. And so, it even if it's just, you know, even if you're bumping up against those either insecurities or fears or whatever it might be, you learn how to use your skill set to ground you in. Okay. I'm reacting to fear, but what's really going on here? And you begin to, new worlds open, new dimensions open, and new possibilities all of a sudden. You know, door number one, two, and three become ten doors of opportunity that we can we can take and discover whole new worlds. But we have to have some foundation in, in learning how to ramp up our own intuition. And that, I think, is an extraordinary opportunity at this time. I learned something really kind of interesting. I had, um, oh gosh, a month or so back, I had an ear infection, and I'd had it before, and I knew what it was, and um, called to make an appointment with the doctor, and I explained what it was, and so they initially gave me an appointment, and then they called back and said, well, do you have this, do you have this, do you I said, no, I have an ear infection. And I need a Z pack. I knew exactly what I needed. <laughs> and yeah. so so they said, Well, do you have any symptoms? And I said, Of Corvid? And I said, No, I have an ear infection. And they said, Well, you have symptoms, so you can't come in. And so I said, Well well, what do you suggest I do? And so I had the conference on you know, on, on the computer. But I said to the secretary, So let me get this straight. If I'm sick, the doctor won't see me. But if I'm well, it's okay to come in. And she said, yeah, that's it. And I said, don't you find that a bit strange? <laughs> it was, it, it just made no yeah. sense to me, you know. You know, if you're sick, yeah. I don't want to see you. Well, that's what doctors are for. I know. I know it's crazy. Oh. It's it's the old story of you know that old fable. That story is the emperor wearing clothes. Uh, I think, and and I know this is in the Hopi stories as well. Uh, stories as well, that as we get closer and closer to end of days of the Piscean age, the turning time, it gets crazier and crazier. So what is obvious, like what you just said, becomes all convoluted. Because so many people are so confused that the the confusion becomes the main thing. And those, if if we have clarity and we know certain simple, my dad used to say, common sense things, you know, 
it we're going to be looked upon as a little nutty right now because it's it's just that crazy it's just that inverted almost and i think you know that old monty python movie brazil i mean it just goes off on the craziest direction when there's an individual mistake made at the very beginning of the movie i mean it's comical and farcical but i think that's a lot of what's out there right now and it takes a tremendous amount of either patience or letting things go to work your way through because, I mean, let's face it, these kinds of things piss you off. Well, yeah. And, you know, so I I understand the frustration people are having. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm right with them in some of these. And it's the same thing with the, the face mask. You know, is this really protecting me or is it protecting other people from me? And, you know, they aren't, I, I don't know if it's, they don't really know anything, and they're just trying everything out for a week or so to see if it works, or or if there is real value in in what they're saying. Because I I get the feeling they're shooting in the dark here. Oh, with the virus itself. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about the Andromeda strain. Remember back at that movie here. Um, one of the things about the virus that was fascinating is that it mutates, it evolves, uh-huh. and, it, and it has intelligence. And I'm not saying that's what's happening now, but in the 2008 version, it's believed by one of the scientists or doctors on the team trying to figure out Andromeda that there's nanotechnology in the virus itself, and it's very advanced. Is that the case now? And they have no clue because it's mutating and adapting and evolving, and it's in itself intelligent. Or is that still the basis of a sci-fi movie? Well, we don't know the levels of of technology that our government truly has, so we don't we don't honestly know the answer to that. So I think there are certain things in public health. Uh, tradition, you know, public health policy that do work. But, you know, is this virus part of that umbrella of viruses or is there something in it that's mutating and evolving along with us? I mean, who knows? I mean, our technology is pretty advanced at this point. Well, that's what I thought. And uh, and yet when we get hit with something like this, it, it, it appears that Everybody panics and goes in lots of different directions, and and I understand that it's a scary time. Um, but but you know we get to a point where, okay, is this a time where we have to step back and we have to really take care of ourselves and God forbid eat more sensibly and you know watch our own food and watch our own diets and you know it, it's and and I think that that's that's a great deal of what's going on is is kind of sending us back to to being. Um, I'm, I'm not saying turning everybody into um, vegetarians and stuff like that, but I am saying that, that maybe this is a, a way of reminding us that we have greater responsibility for our own health than a lot of us have, have um, taken the credit for or taken the responsibility for. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and yet... We have a Western model, model medical uh, programming that says go see your doctor. 
he or she has the remedy. They have the pills. They have the prescriptions. And so you give your power over to them, and they put you on medications that have side effects. And I'm not saying certain medications that are taken on an acute basis aren't good for you. Um, you know, your body can tolerate some of that stuff. But if you're on these medications, they tell you for life, you know, then that's a different story, and it has disruptions in in your system, and it causes all kinds of things. So that's where I guess each individual to decide, you know, how they want to manage their symptoms. So it seems that in the model, if you go see a doctor, I know when I've gone to see doctors in the past, and I've brought up anything holistic, um, you know, it's really scoffed at. And although I think some things are getting better, I think some things are getting worse because they want power over and control in what they're telling you to do. Not all doctors, Uh but generally in that big pharma umbrella and the way that people come out of med school uh, and, and what they learn and what they have to grapple with. So on one hand, yeah, it would be better if we took responsibility and figured things out and worked in cooperation with Western doctors and maybe, you know, herbs or vitamins or, you know, a naturopath, however we do it. And yet at the same token, we're faced with this big pharma that puts how many commercials on every program during the course of the day in America and says there's a pill for everything and we can make it easy for you. So what do you do? You know, I mean, it's really, it's really an incredible time of really realizing who you are and what you're capable of and taking your power back as an individual, as opposed to just letting somebody dictate to you how you're going to run your health and everything else. You know what I mean? It's really a mixed message. Well, yeah, and not only that, but you see the ads on television and then people go into the doctor and say, what do you think about this pill or this whatever? And and today, usually doctors will say, well, we'll try it and see. And, you know, that's not the way, you know, uh, just because the ad looks good and the person on, on, you know, the air got cured. I mean, we have people that, that go around doing physical healings all the time and, and nobody pays attention to them, but it works. Um, exactly. Exactly. You know, it, It's kind of like, okay, you're going to put this stuff out there. Why don't you put some stuff out there that shows how changing your diet, how, I mean, it's it's a well-known fact that if you have a system that is acidic, cancer can't live in it. I mean, why aren't they talking about that? That's an easy thing to do. If you you have cancer, you know, changing your diet is one of the first things you should do. Cancer, you know, cancer grows on sugar. So, yeah, so you don't want acidic, you want alkaline, I think is what you meant to say. Alkaline, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and yeah. So, no, I agree. You know, um, when my dad was still, when my dad was still alive, he was a progressive kind of guy. Uh, he believed in vitamin C well before he and my uncle, well before anybody did, and he had us taking it. You know, um, it was interesting. And so we used to talk about this stuff because I, I liked alternative health. And you know, he he would say that he, and this was you know, a while ago because he died in '08. He said that there was a cure for cancer, but it wasn't convenient for it to be revealed because too much money would be lost. So he was a firm believer in that, you know, and that was quite a long time ago. So there is the whole big pharma initiative that is 
questionable. I mean, there are certain life-saving medicines that are important. I'm not dissing the whole model, but the fact that so many, or just say Americans, are on prescriptions, you know, you have to know that those, those that that daily ingestion of certain types of medications might get your profile to look the way a doctor's telling you your profile has to look, but it may not be good for you overall, you know, and, and that takes education and study and learning and figuring out who we are. And I think we perhaps as Americans have become lazy or, I mean, a lot of people aren't, a lot of people are waking up and doing the right things, but there's a lot of people who have just followed a certain protocol and they're paying the price for it, right? Well, it's, you know, especially the older generation, you know, doctors know everything and therefore whatever they say goes rather than, you know, paying attention to the other ways that you can you can treat just about everything. And um, yeah. and and, you know, to be fair, um sometimes the doctors actually do know what they're doing, but you know, you you do kind oh, of yeah. sit back and yeah. Every now and then you'll find a doctor that is you know truly in tune with things and is willing to try new things. And you know when that when you hit that kind of a doctor, then then you've got something. But um, it, it's not that I I truly believe that doctors for the most part really are committed to helping people you know live better. But there are those out there that you know that there are those out there that just take the free samples and give that out. And um, I know a long time ago, a very long time ago, um, I thought I had the flu. And this goes back to you know we're talking like 30, 40 years ago. And I went into the doctor and I thought I had flu symptoms, so he gave me an antibiotic and sent me home. And a month later, I had the same symptoms and I went back and he gave me whatever else, you know, they they had just dropped off at his office to try out. And the third month I went back and, you know, he he said, well, what are your symptoms? And I told him my symptoms and he was about to give me an antibiotic. And I said to him, have you ever heard of menopause? And <laughs> he looked at me and said, what? I said, this is menopause. You know, did you ever consider looking at the symptoms and and trying to apply something to them instead of just giving me a pill and sending me home. Mhm. And 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 you know so so you know I I I am slightly a hypochondriac. No, I'm a big hypochondriac actually, but um but it's a matter <laughs> of research. <laughs> I'm a, I'm I'm a great I I'm a functional um hypochondriac and and you know I have the Belch book and I have diagnosed myself with so many things; it's unbelievable. And some of them I actually <laughs> had, but 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 it's, it's sort of like we have personal responsibility here too. Um, you have something, you know. There's WebMD. There's there's lots of. I I prefer the. Are you familiar with the prescriptive healing book? The I'm not. Book? Oh, no. it's a fabulous book. It gives you. First of all, it gives you, you know, the illness, and then it gives you the symptoms, and then it, then it goes into um, what medications have currently been prescribed for it. But then it goes into the vitamins and the minerals and the and the and the different foods you should be eating to help to, you know, 
help your system heal itself if you want to go that way as well. So it and it's called you what? Prescriptive? Prescriptive Healing, and it's by Belch, B-A-L-C-H. It's a fabulous okay. book, and it's a great book for hypochondriacs because you can really get off on some of these illnesses. But, um, <laughs> That's but, funny. i got to check this book out. Oh, it's a fabulous, fabulous book, and I, what I love about it is it can it can it can give you you know the 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 the, the material on it, but it can also you know kind of lead you into the direction you know have you changed your diet? Have you looked at this? Have, you know, and it gives you the dosages of the different um, vitamins and minerals that you should be taking in order to help to build your immune system better to get through whatever it is you're going through. So as, on, a, on a holistic level, it's a fabulous book, and it's been out there forever, and they've revised it. I, I was not aware of it. I mean, I'm into that information, and I do some, I think, some really progressive things. Um, I'm totally into water and what high-quality spring water does. I'm into certain supplements, and those have evolved through the years, and, of course, you know, the emotional clearing and meditation and drumming and different things that just are really good for you. So I got to check this out and see. It'd be good to have that kind of resource around. Uh, I read a lot of stuff by Mercola. Um, he puts out a daily newsletter, and I've learned a lot from him through the years um, and, and have adjusted things accordingly. But that's that's good to know. It's it's funny when we were talking about this this turning time, this shift into the new age, the change, the lunar eclipse coming up on Sunday with the July 4th, the underpinnings of America, the star Sirius, Atlantis, my God, we've covered so much ground. And mm-hmm. if, if you think about it, the ancient groups connected to Yeshua and Magdalene, you know, the Atlanteans um, and their healing abilities, certainly the therapeutic in ancient Egypt, the Essenes, and and what they knew. It's amazing how some really quality information has been out there, and yet how underground it had to go in the darker cycles of time that just couldn't seem to support some of this knowledge because it gives the individual power. So I think the thing that pisses me off as we make this shift into the new time is how available this information is either becoming or it's surfacing back up or the Rosicrucian records become maybe a little more public and so on and so forth. It it reminds me of this eternal battle and certainly you see it in Christianity and the Jesus story and the early Gnostics. You know, that direct experience was encouraged because you could have that direct experience with what they called the Godhead, right? So you didn't need an intermediary. You didn't need a priest or whomever. You cultivated that direct experience, Gnosticism, in its, certainly in its early days. And so there, always seem, there seems to, at least in the last 2,000 years, we could probably go back further, where in this Piscean age, one of its characteristics on the darker side is this power over, is this, um, you know, we're not going to let you directly go to the Godhead. You've got to, you know, you, you've got to go through us. You've got to pay the toll and go through us. And that's been true with priesthoods and religions and big pharma and health and so on and so forth. And we are at such a crossroads of being able to craft our path 
more fully. So you were talking a lot about taking more responsibility. I think that is crucial, but then there's freedom. So it's, you know, it's, it's so multifaceted, whether do we still give our power over to big pharma or to, you know, the CDC guidelines or to whomever, to doctors, or do we begin to, you know, diversify what we have available to us, which then takes personal responsibility to enact that. And I think people have to answer that question now. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to develop our intuitive skill set to let that GPS system come online and direct us to better ways? Maybe yoga is better for some people. Um, yoga is pretty mainstream now, but maybe yoga, maybe Qigong, maybe shamanic drumming, whatever, whatever. I mean, the science is even coming in on drumming. Or do we just go with somebody telling us what to do? Uh, I don't think there's one thing, you know, because we're such a diverse population but i think that's one of the most important things in you know talking about personal responsibility that we can do for ourselves at this juncture because oh, i yeah. think we're really going to need to know who we are and rely on that ability because i do think things are going to get kind of crazy in these next two years oh, like yeah. exponentially there so, crazy there are so many things that are so simple that are available to us that i mean it, it, like the the paradiddle um, are you familiar with that? The paradiddle? Yeah, the paradiddle. <laughs> no. The, the paradiddle is an old drumming technique, ancient, that balances the left and right hemispheres of your brain. And it's it's also a basic drumming pattern. And and if you'll, with me, get both your hands ready, you're going to hit the table, tap the table with your hands, it goes yeah. left. It goes. It goes right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Paradiddle, paradiddle. You do this for five minutes. It calms you. It balances you, and it makes you it gives you focus. And you can do it on the steering wheel of the car. You can do it. You know if you're if you're sitting someplace and you're getting nervous and uptight, you just do it on your legs, you know, paradiddle, paradiddle. You do it for five mm-hmm. minutes and you've meditated. So right, left, right, right. Left, right, and then left, 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 left. left. Yeah, le- yeah, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. And and you can that's that's the paradiddle, and you do that. A steady rhythm of it, and you become more focused. Left and right hemispheres are balanced, and you're good to go. Well, I mean that's wow. So I'm, I'm paradiddle. I'm writing. I'm taking notes here because I will definitely <laughs> Google that. And I mean it, 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 it. Already with what you said, I get it. But I'd like to learn a little bit more. You know that was my, well, my, to me. That's sister. the shift. So the shift yeah. is taking us, remember I said it in the very beginning, Magdalene said, don't get caught up in the extremes. They're there and they're serving a purpose. And it's the tension that's important, but keep your eye on that eye of the needle and walk forward. It just seems to me that the balance of the left and right hemisphere is what they were teaching in the Egyptian mystery schools. Oh, absolutely. Now, my sister's a shaman and she teaches drumming. 
And this is one of the first things she shared with me. She said, you know, you know, I said, you know, oh, let's talk about what you're doing. And she said, you're not ready, which, of course, I hated. But um, <laughs> she, she did, she did, uh, she's not into the, um, the psychic intuitive stuff. She's into the more shamanic type stuff. And, and, mm-hmm. and yet she, taught, she, she, she does drumming workshops. And she had a, a group of people on Mount Washington, and there's a tower there. And they they took their drums at midnight into the into the um, into the peace tower there, and they drummed for almost an hour just with a paradiddle. And people would come in, and they would listen to the rhythm. And the next day, she said she heard people going around saying paradiddle, paradiddle. So. And, <laughs> The, the the energy that it generates is just profound. And if you get a group of people doing it for five or ten minutes, you know, I, I mean, you get swept away with it. It is it is a portal of sorts that you create with the, with the drumming pattern. And, and you well, don't I love it. I, I do drum. Um, I, I do the shamanic beat for sure, but I do do, do the drumming, I feel, I love when it happens and the downloads come through the drums and the magic happens. So I'm definitely going to oh, yeah. definitely going to test that one out and report back because it's so simple and yet if it can oh, really do that, I mean, my god, it's simple and it's free. What's better than that? Not not only that, you don't need a drum. All you need is a Quaker oatmeal um, you know, the 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 plastic tubs and just you mm-hmm. know, all you need is is that, and you can go right on the top of that that um, package, and and it, 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 it and you don't need a drum. It's it's better with a drum, of course, but um, you can. And where I find it the handiest is if I'm in traffic, and you know, just with my fingers on the steering wheel, I do the paradiddle, paradiddle, and and it, things seem to. It not only does traffic seem to speed up, but I seem to calm down. So um, it does work. I mean that's one of the things she she did feel she could share with me. <laughs> but wow, I, I, yeah. No, I mean I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the ancient knowledge of of drumming and what they were doing um, you know, on so many levels, and it's things like that. I I was watching actually um, a recent documentary on health. And it was a lot of doctors, but they were looking at all the alternative stuff and bringing in the new science and how it supports it. And I was laughing, telling someone, saying, you know, I'm glad that they're getting to a point where they understand the value of drumming. I said, but I figured that out 15 years ago, and thank God I didn't wait for somebody to tell me it was okay and that it was beneficial because when your GPS is turned on, you can feel the effects of of drumming, you know, and that's just one thing. Your body tells you, yeah, this feels really good. This is really beneficial. I think the other thing about it is that um, everybody thinks there has there there has to be, um, you know, very complicated patterns to ascension and transcendence and all that. And the reality is, spirituality is simple, and and the really strong techniques. Are simple. It, it's you know that kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, it yeah. applies to this. If if you feel that you you have to you know 
do do tons of workshops and all sorts of things like that, and then you become spiritually um, enhanced. I, you probably, to a degree, do, but but the reality is, if you're going inside yourself and if you're you're working on yourself to become a better person and more compassionate and understanding for humanity, that's even more beneficial. And and I I don't mean to to in any way discourage people from doing workshops because I think the group energy is just fabulous. But the bottom line is everybody has to personally do their own work in their own way, ultimately. And that's where you get to where you have to go. Well, I believe that, but I think I think for what I've observed, I mean, I certainly did my share of workshops, trainings, and so on and so forth through the years, and I found value in it. And what I learned a lot was more of what I had to undo. So it was programming in the mind, in religion. For me, it was Catholicism growing up. I had to undo those belief systems, those imprints in my psyche, you know, whether it was physical or emotional, uh, you know, that's what I had to undo because I think when you undo the programming, when you heal the wounds, all of the past, then the real work, like you're saying, is simple. Ritual or ceremony, best to be simple. I don't like when it gets complicated because then you get in the head and not in the heart and in the spontaneity of the present moment. And that's the beauty of doing the work and getting to that simplicity. But we have to undo the programming of the mind that has taken place to the extent that it makes everything complicated. Oh, yeah. And by the way, if if you find the paradiddle working for you, um, there is a walking pattern that goes with it that I have, and you know I can send it to you. But you know, ah, for, yes. For now, you for now use the steering wheel. Um, my, <laughs> okay, my, my I will. Sister, I will. My sister, my sister did a, a, a drumming circle here, and it was really funny. There are lots of people, and she got us doing the paradiddle and on the drums and everything, and and then she took us forward into the walking pattern. And I kept walking into the walls. And and afterwards, she she said, that was so kind of you to pretend to be lost and knocking into walls and everything so nobody felt, you know, bad about, you know, not not doing as well as they would like to have done. And I said, you know, I thank you. But I humbly have to say, I was literally walking into walls. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, wow, it's amazing. It was, yeah, I, I was not, you know, trying to be an example of how a klutz can do it. I was the klutz doing it. But, you know, I'm really good at the tabletops and my legs and the steering wheel. And I, and, and I have to tell you, in times of stress, that has helped me tremendously. So, um I can, good to I know. Can it's imagine. simple. It's free. You can do it on demand, you know, like you said, oh, when yeah. you're in traffic. and. You know, even right now, if you're waiting in line to go into a store or something like that, and, you know, you just really crave the old days when you could just pull up and go into a store, and, you know, maybe now oh, you yeah. have to stand in a line socially distancing and wait. I mean, you could even do it there. There's so many things that are so available to us, but the mind has to be free 
in order to just access those common sense approaches. But I, I, I see this as the undoing time. It's actually been that way for a while. You know, in the Aztec calendar, in the Mayan calendar, excuse me, there was this 25-year ring around it where it kind of gave you that transition time. Uh, a lot of people now don't have that. You have to be fast-tracked into this change. And luckily, there's so many tools to do it and so many good things, whereas perhaps I'll speak for myself. When I was coming into this understanding, there wasn't, but there was more time to to expand and contract and to ebb and to flow and to really take this information in and, and undo all the everything that was done in order to access these very simple things that are so beneficial for us. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of times people really, though, want the complication because they feel that they've got, you know, a deep, dark secret. But um, when when you go back to, to the Native Americans or, or the first people, I don't know what's appropriate term for them now, the, the, the Indians. Um, and, uh, you know, their drumming put them into trances. And oh, yeah. It, it, you know, and, oh, my gosh, go to a powwow sometime and really feel the power of um, just the drumming, and then you can feel the vibration of their feet in the earth which is, yes. you know, oh, my God, it just absolutely, it, it, you become the rhythm. Instead of creating it, you become the rhythm. And when you're that yeah. rhythm and there are other people doing the same thing, I mean, it is, um, it, it's entrancing. And it's, there's no It really involved. is. I, I have a powwow, and, you know, we did something with rattles, uh, I was just with a small group up in the Catskills uh, the solstice weekend, and one of the first things we did for the weekend was a trance rattle ceremony that was adapted um, from Alberto Violdo's work, and mm-hmm. it was so simple, is that, really. Is, is, is that Alberto of Four Winds? Uh, the is it four wins or the four agreements? I'm not sure. Violdo, Alberto. Um, I, I, well, I there, there was an Albert, there is an Alberto connected to four wins, so I don't know if it's the same one or not. Yeah, I'd have to Google but. it um to see, but it's not work that I've done. But anyway, the the woman that was with us is in training as a ceremonialist, and so we did this trans rattle, and we actually used. The most profound part of it was we did this chant. We had a sacred fire. We did the chant with that and the rattle. But at the very end, she had us stop with our voices, and we just did the rattle. And we were outside. Um, we had a fire pit in the earth. We, I mean, my bare feet were on the ground connecting to the mother, the heartbeat. And then all of a sudden, we did the rattling until she just said, stop. And, like, the sound reverberated, although there was none, and we could hear all the elements of nature. I mean, talk about feeling good and powerful. Wow. And that well, was going into a trance state with a rattle. That's, that's a, you, you bring a really important point out here, too, because we have, we have separated ourselves from the Earth Mother with shoes, with concrete, with wood, with everything. And... A very important thing to do is to walk on the Earth Mother in our bare feet and connect with her because 
you know, the, the Indians didn't have rheumatism. They didn't have a lot of the ailments that we have. And part of it was they had a, they had a direct connection with the Earth Mother with their feet. And there's a whole school of thought called earthing, but but it, oh, has, yeah. it it has it has great validity. And you know, just there there have been times when the winter was so long for me, I would go into a local nursery, and you know, they got to know me there. And I, all I wanted to do was walk in my bare feet on the ground um, that was still dirt and not frozen. And and you do you you connect to the heartbeat of the earth you connect enough times to you know or constantly to the heartbeat of the earth mother um things like rheumatism and and, um aches and pains often are diminished greatly because of the connection to the heartbeat of the earth i know isn't isn't that phenomenal i'm a huge fan of earthing huge huge fan um was exposed to that i don't know quite a while ago when it first came out i'm a big believer so having your feet in the ground it's the it's the mother it's the heartbeat we sing songs uh in these groups with that connected to the mother and the heartbeat the schumann resonance it's extraordinary and and i can tell you i can be tired it, actually this is one thing i do with my groups when i go to france there's a place where we go and collect fresh spring water outside of Rennes chateau and there's a little wading pool there where the water funnels into there as well. And there's the softest river stones on the bottom. So it's about maybe two feet at most high. And so I get everybody to, unless someone doesn't really want to, to put your feet in to the earth, in the water, into the stone, and bare feet in. And we do some song, we sing some songs, and we just spend, um, and sometimes depending on the group, we'll spend an hour there. And people love it, and it and it just um, takes away the jet lag. It gets us oh, connected yeah. to the earth and the spirit of place. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And by the way, I did look up uh, the four agreements is Don Miguel Ruiz, and the four insights is Alberto Viodo, and I believe the four wins. So, ah, okay. I just I just yeah, noticed so. the time. We seem to have chatted through two hours here. Um, no. do, you, do you want to give your information where people can get a hold of you and, and if something's going on real fast? We've only got a couple of minutes, so, you know. Yeah, I would say the best hub to find out everything is uh, my website, gloria-amandola.com. It will tell you how to get a hold of me. I am on Facebook. Um, don't do a lot of social media, but I do Facebook. And really everything, my website is the go-to. It can give you email. It can explain my books, my work, my trips, everything. It's, it, that's the best place to go. And your books, there, there are five of them, I believe, right? Um, yeah, soon to, soon to be more. Like I said, the original script of the play was released, and that was really kind of fun, rewriting it for this time and, and, and fleshing out Magdalene in present-day New York City. Um, it's really a hoot. We're going to try to get it produced again. So that's available, and um, the, the there's updated information, the tours now have to go to 2021. Uh, we will be up in the Catskills in the fall, though, in New York, God willing. All things, you know, uh, stay the same in terms of the pandemic. Uh, okay. We were able to be up there. So, again, everything's there. And, again, I'm, I'm an email person, so if you send me an email, I try to get back to everyone. 
it might take me a little bit, but I do. Um, so that's really it. And if you're interested in the intuitive work remotely, it is a great opportunity to to, to go down this path as, as we were discussing all night. So it's all there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I highly re- I've read all five of the books, and I can tell you they're really good books. They are they are well written and and they are a joy to read. So. We are down to the last few seconds. I want to thank you, Gloria, for being again with me, and you know we'll look forward to doing this again sometime soon. Okay, Barbara, thank you so much. It was really fun. It was. Okay, and everybody, thank you so much for being with us. Um, if you are listening in archive, please, uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel because we, we need those numbers to let us know that you're actually out there listening. And have a good evening, everybody. Have a a joyful fourth. And stay safe, stay well, and stay out of everybody else's way. Good night.